grab your pre-workout and turn up that volume. It is time for a new episode of the Powerlifters Den with your host, Cam Smith. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Powerlifters Den. I'm your host, Cam Smith, and we are back to bring on a, a beast of a human, someone who has squatted over a 1,000 pounds raw, um, a, a, a comical powerlifter of sorts. Uh, Patrick, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Patrick McGuire, super heavyweight uh, powerlifter. Um, I, I don't really know what to say about myself because I'm not really that special. <laughs> I've just squatted uh, 1,003 at the American Pro, 622 bench, which wasn't a PR either, and then uh, 716 deadlift, which also wasn't a PR. So I'm just one of those average going into a meet, don't PR anything except the total. I mean, you are definitely not what I would call average. Um, I guess we can start by kind of talking about what got you into the sport itself, uh, maybe what inspired you, or if you had like a sports background that kind of transitioned you into it. So I back in high school, I played football, ice hockey, and then my senior year, instead of doing ice hockey, I, I joined the bowling team because bowling's fantastic. Um, but my oldest brother kind of every summer we'd have this thing where we'd basically go to the gym every day and we'd have a good time, watch MMA fights at night and that overall kind of thing. But when he went off to college, um, there was kind of like that void going on. And I, I got up to the point where I don't actually know how heavy I was back in high school. I remember I was, I think I was 210 back in sixth or seventh grade. So I was just the fat kid. And I got tired of being the fat kid. So I, I, I started going to the gym for, for kind of like health purposes, trying to, trying to lose weight, trying to look good naked, that whole shebang, watching Kai Green, Ronnie Coleman videos, yep. um, going to the health club and watching all the soccer milfs just stare at me <laughs> while I just scream, yeah, buddy. Um, but um, I got down to like 240s, which... I don't actually know where I started off at, but that was the summer after I graduated high school. And there was, there was a guy at my gym who was well known for being like the strong guy in the gym. And he had his own like online powerlifting team. And um, I was doing like two a day splits doing like Ronnie Coleman's uh, like his training day in the morning. I'd go to school or like go home, take a nap, eat a meal and then come back in the afternoon um, and then run an Arnold Schwarzenegger day for the same muscle group, kind of do two a days trying to, trying to beat a dead horse. And, um, I developed, uh, tendonitis in my wrist from playing football and playing hockey. And, um, I, I really noticed it with preacher curls. And so I asked the lead trainer at the gym that I was going to it was Hampshire Hills in, um, I don't know if it's Milford or Amherst, New Hampshire, but, um, I was going there and the lead trainer was like, why don't you talk to Brad? Cause Brad's he's got these wrist wraps they they help support the wrists and, and whatnot so i i go up and i talk to him he's like well are you a pussy and i was like <laughs> i uh i don't think so <laughs> he was like come bench with us on wednesday we'll we'll see whether or not you're a pussy and that that, that was the first time i ever trained powerlifting I, th I think we maxed out bench and i benched like 305 nothing too shabby and um that november i did my first meet it was uh I think I benched 335 and deadlifted 405 and it was a push pull. So no squat. Yep. And my squat at the time was 315. So like, I didn't want to out bench my squat. <laughs> so yeah. 
Yeah, so that's that's awesome. I, I love hearing everyone's origin stories. Um, for me, it was I kind of was always big into lifting for sports, specifically football, and um, kind of towards the end of my college career, obviously the past few years, I was like, hmm, I want to compete. I figured this would be something I got into after the fact, so now I do golf and powerlifting, two very drastic ends of the sport, but kind of the two paths that I feel like most retired college, college athletes go for. Um, yeah. I get, so you did mention that you competed at the American pro this year. Um, was that your mm -hmm. first time competing at the American pro? Uh, I competed at the American pro last year as well. I didn't have as good of a showing, um, at the American pro one, I got my squad opener on my third. And by the, by when, when that happens, you just don't want to be there anymore. And you're like, let's just go and, and like, let's finish the meet and then let's just go home. So I, I went, um, one for three on squats with nine seventy. Um, and then I benched 628, I think, and then deadlifted 728, which was a 2332, I think. Um, and that was the first time I PR'd my deadlift since 2016. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of funny that the one lift that actually went according to plan was the the redheaded stepchild of my three lifts <laughs> yeah i feel like that's kind of the same way for me um i think it used to be bench for me but like recently my bench has been going through a growth phase my squats just been my squat i mean they're not relatively comparable but um yeah uh i think the american pro has been like an awesome meet to watch i mean you get some of the heavy hitters there so uh maybe talk about more some of the actual experience of going to the meet seeing some of these heavy hitters, just the, the energy and all that? Um, the biggest difference between the American Pro and, like, a local meet is um, there isn't that much of a difference except they had a bouncer at the door because, like, when you go to a local meet, the, you know the warm-up room gets swamped, crowded, and there's there's no room for anything to go on. But at the American Pro, you had to have, like a like, a coaching pass or a lifter pass or just walk around in a singlet. Um, no one was going to question anyone if you were like half naked, but like <laughs> it, it was a bouncer at, at the door, making sure that no one who wasn't supposed to be in there was in there. But like everyone, like it, it's almost like one big family when, when you're competing, because, um, when you compete and you're competing against someone, especially at the top level, you never want to beat someone and then be like, you know, I didn't really have my best day. So everyone's like sharing food sharing water sharing whatever they can to help their competitors to um to perform at their best so that when you eventually do beat them they got no excuses yeah. you don't there's no asterisk on your hall of fame when you're when you beat them when you've made sure that they are as prepared as you are so it was it was pretty cool like um i got to talk to chad penson i got to talk to uh justin zottle um ed blair is pretty cool in person um hunter henderson um but a lot it was it was it was real cool just to get a bunch of meatheads in the same <laughs> zone with all the same goal and just exist yeah yeah it seems i think that's something that eventually i'd like to try to get to that level to go to um it just seems like a unmatched like energy and kind of it almost seems it's like um obviously the wpo is more of like the equip this is kind of like the raw meat i would say um, I guess there's like that and the ghost clash. Um, I guess yeah. maybe for, for you, what's, um, what's your next plan meet? I don't know if you have one set yet or you're kind of just in a training phase or. 
Um, I just started training for the Ghost Clash 3. It'll be my first meet in sleeves. So I'm not... I'm looking forward to not stressing about the timer, but I'm not looking forward <laughs> to everyone being like, oh, you get this much out of your wraps. Yeah. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, is there a reason you chose to do sleeves or is the ghost clash can you use wraps in that or is it just a choice you made uh yeah i i competed in the first ghost clash and i, I used wraps and at that meet i actually got to talk with dan bell and he was like all right listen you can't be you, you can't just do one type of of lift you don't want you don't want the um the wraps to be your crutch you have to do a lot more work outside of the wraps and then whatever you do is going to translate directly into the wraps so what he says, what he was doing at the time, uh, before he like competed 20 times in, what was it, 22 or 23, whatever. It was a ridiculous amount of time. So he was like, every other meet do wraps and every other meet do sleeves so that you get that compounding interest. You get more than just one kind of total because when you're doing wraps, you got that central nervous system just just firing. Like um, I've, I've, I've thrown up at each of my past four meets just from the uh, central nervous system overloading and overheating and stuff. And then like having to recover from that just in time to start benching, warming up for bench or like the American pro was fast. So I was, I was doing some of my recovery stuff in between my uh, bench warm up stuff just so that I could get onto the platform. But um, going into sleeves, you're not able to push your limits as much because um, it's it's more muscular than it's uh, elastic potential energy going through your knees and and collecting that with the wraps and the stiffness of the wraps and all that big science voodoo bullshit stuff, <laughs> but um, which means that like I've I've done a couple bench only meets in the past and I've always said bench only is gay unless you're injured or seven hundreds on the bar yeah um and uh, I it usually takes me like four or five years to to beat the numbers that I hit in that bench only meet so like having the the sleeved squat where you're not taxing your cns as much where it's more like you're not going to squat as heavy unless you're craig foster in sleeves than you will in wraps so like having a little bit more left on the table a little more energy in reserve means that you potentially will have a higher bench and higher deadlift and we all know how my deadlift goes <laughs> yeah so i mean i just started using wraps this year so um, I've kind of thought about, I've got, I've been kind of questioning like, hmm, what's, what's my total going to look like in sleeves or what's my squat going to look like in sleeves now? Cause most of my training, I only put on the wraps if it's a uh, heavy single or like a straight bar, mm -hmm. straight weight, which I haven't done that on squats since the meet. So, I mean, I feel like I've gone through a really big growth period with it, but I do think it's important to kind of make sure you're still building your foundation, just like with any multiply guys, like you still have to be strong at your base or you're just not going to be yeah. able to handle weights no matter what yeah. the suit does. It's, it's kind of similar to how I approach my belt. It, previously, I used to belt up even just for the bar. Like, I wouldn't latch the belt, but I'd still have the belt on because um, someone was like, you realize that when you have your belt on, your form is different than when it's not on. you got to practice that. And I just took that to heart and I just ran with it. And then I ended up with a herniated disc because my core was so weak from just using the belt as a crutch all the time so like when i when i got the herniated disc someone actually stole my belt and i didn't realize it for like six months but coming back didn't use a belt and now now it's like i start warming up i'm like naked and then i throw on the sleeves and then i throw on the belt and then i latch the belt and then i take the sleeves off and then i start with the wrap so it's like a progression so that i'm not relying on one 
like equipment system at, at a single time so that I'm, I'm building up the raw strength without affecting anything else. Yeah, and I, I, that's actually a good thing to bring up too because, I mean, some people like to go with like, I don't put the belt on until I'm at like 60% or um, something I've kind of done is in the off season, I kind of do around 60% when I'll throw the belt mm-hmm. on. But when I'm in prep, once I have uh, two plates on the bar for de- deadlift or squat, that's when I'll throw it on just to either save my back or just kind of keep injury prevention at a lower level during the prep. Yeah. You want to play just the tip with like pushing your limits without getting injured. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, just like you said, not develop weaknesses. Kind of like if, um, some people will use like straps on every single back exercise in the book and then they go to try to deadlift and they wonder why they're dropping four or five double overhand when they can pull six with straps. So. I, I just recently started using straps and stuff on, on back exercises, but my caveat with that would be that I also make sure on every bench and every deadlift day that isn't succeeded by a bench or a deadlift day that I'm doing some sort of grip work so that I still get the, um, the, the <laughs> gripper, the, the grip going. Yeah. So, um, it, and, and that really helped. It, it brought me from dropping 700 for five years in a row on deadlifts to locking out 777 twice yeah. and then getting reds. So do you, um, I guess, more into your training, what is kind of like your structure of training? Uh, do you have a coach? Like do, what kind of program do you follow? Um, I've been with Joe Sullivan for the past year about. If I've, I've, I've had his uh, girlfriend, Brianni Terry, running my nutrition for the past like two and a half, maybe three years at this point. And when I, when I was looking for a new coach, um, I actually asked Briani and she was like, no, do Joe. <laughs> so, um, I hooked up with Joe. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it, I, I used to run fifth set. I, I ran fifth set for, for seven years in a row. And, um, this new, this new training has a whole lot of, um, variables that I had not even considered. Like um, the biggest one would be an undulated uh, deload kind of method where I never take a full deload, like a whole week where I'm just doing like five by three or, or three by one, 50% or whatever. It's always like, I'll be squatting heavy. I'll be benching heavy. And I might be deloading my deadlift or like deload my squat, still be benching, still be deadlifting. And it's, it's kind of like a push and pull of like where the fatigue systems are, are, are laying out. And then um, I used to train three days a week. Uh, and then as I got closer to the American pro, the first time, um, I was doing one training session every three days. So my week would be nine days long, but I would only get three training sessions in, but Joe pretty much was like, you're being fat. Stop doing that. And now I train five days a week. One day is completely cardio. It's like cardio sprints, cardio, (sighs) making me less fat basically. And then there there's the justification for all that stuff is, is like, I didn't really understand it until I saw how it um, practiced like in action on the platform at the American pro because my um, after the squats, like we already said that my CNS was blown out. I was overheating. Um, I think Garrett said I, I was sick or something. And I dropped my bench opener. I, I haven't watched back the, the, uh, the, the footage from the, the stream yet, but um, everyone always mentioned that. And it was like, I didn't drop it because of that. I, I dropped it because I, I, couldn't hit anything over 545 in training on bench but um there's an adhd side tangent um the uh, the cardio yeah <laughs> um 
it, it's it was cool because now now we're getting into the the the, the kind of funky voodoo bullshit as I, as I call it because if when when you hear Joe talk about things on on like his Instagram stories and stuff a lot of people are like there's no way that that just sounds weird it it, it doesn't and and I was in that group too until recently where he's talking about um, training your hypoxic response, which is basically your body's response to um, having less oxygen in it. And because you put yourself into hypoxia when you're lifting, because you are, um, you're trying to control your heart rate. Like you almost have a video game controller um, able to control how fast, how slow your heartbeat goes once you train, train your cardio up to a healthy point. And it's completely based on how you're breathing. There's there's the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous systems that go in effect when you breathe in, increases your heart rate. When you exhale, decreases your heart rate. So a, a lot of like the 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 like meditations from like the Far East and whatnot is all about slowing down the heart rate and, and being more centered. No one really like ninjas used to do that mythologically and like <laughs> there's so many people online that are like, I'm a Viking. I'm a tiger. I'm a lion. Like, no, one's, no one's like, but what the fuck did the ninjas do? Like how, how were they so efficient at killers? We're trying to assassinate these weights. What were they doing? And so we're just controlling our heart rate with, with the breathing rates, with meditative breathing. And it's like, I'm like, this feels so stupid, but it works. <laughs> like going into the mean, I was, I was the least confident that I'd ever been because my, my nutrition was not anywhere. It, like I'm eating 2,900 to like 3,500 calories, like being at 350, that's, that seems kind of low. And then also doing a, a, a ridiculous amount of cardio every day. I was like, I, I don't think I'm stronger. And then I go out, I'm 17 pounds lighter. Like the, I was in fights with Briani constantly. I was like, I need to be at 370. I need to be at 370. And she was like, no, you don't think about your dots. And I was like, oh my <laughs> fucking dots. Yeah. the dots. I just want a bigger total. Yep. And I, I go out there. I get a. I, I get a total PR, and I'm like, shit. <laughs> it worked. Yep. Like at one point, I was like, I, I don't. I, I need to be at 370. I, I'm freaking out. I'm too light right now because I was at like 320 in the off season, and they were like, Hey Pat, calm the fuck down and shut the fuck up. And I was like, You know what? I'm pissed off now. I'm just going to be maliciously compliant. You give me the program. I'm following it to a T. If it works, good for me. If it doesn't work, you're fucking wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm just eating crow uh, <laughs> because it worked. Yeah. But it, um, it is kind of, that brings up a good point too. I think um, something with like, with hiring a coach, like you might question some of the things they do, or maybe it's just very different from when you've done in the past. But I think it is very important to kind of just, you're going to pay them might as well fucking buy into what they're selling. Like just, just yep. go for it. If it doesn't work, see you later. Like, yeah. It's, and a lot of it goes against your intuition. It's like it, it, I feel like when you hire a coach, you have to ask a lot of questions. Like you're going to be annoying, but you literally pay them to answer your questions. It's almost like you, you bought a genie, you have unlimited wishes and all the wishes are, are just answer my damn questions. I don't know what's going on. Tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm super, um, like, I guess OCD about like my programming. So like when I get something, I, I read it through and I'm like, what's this? Why does he want to do this? And then like, what, what's it going to look like in a few weeks? So um, I think being transparent, like as a coach myself and having a coach, like being transparent with that stuff is also very important. Yeah.
And the amount of times that I've cursed my coach out, like I, I've always said the first, the first two rules of coaching is never coach yourself, never coach your significant other. Because like I wouldn't, I would not program myself the way that, that Joe's been programming me. And when I'm like, I've already puked this training cycle once because we're, we're trying to work on the, the hypoxic response and trying to work on getting better at controlling the heart rate. So like, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to have you do 180 air squats, supersetted with, um, 120, uh, uh pushups with 60 pull-ups. And, uh, you're only going to get 60 seconds of rest every, every single time that you go through this. And I was like, that's not, I, I would rather masturbate with sandpaper than do that, but let's do this. Yeah. Like it, I would not program that for myself. And the, <laughs> the amount of times that I curse my coach out, this, Joe, any past coaches I've had, even Briani, just for the nutrition, I would not want a significant other cursing me out that much. Yeah. That would, that would not be a healthy relationship. That is, that is Dom sub level, even worse. <laughs> yeah. And um, kind of with that, the, the biggest thing with a coach is even like for, for people that are at elite level, like, I mean, just like you, for example, like Leah Reichman ha obviously has the highest female total of all time. She still has Laura Phelps as her coach. Like just because yeah. you're up in that level doesn't mean you don't need someone to keep you accountable. Yeah. The accountability is the, the biggest thing. It's, it's almost like you're paying, like you're paying them to program you. But one, so one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of like lower level lifters and, and like, I hate the word amateur level lifters because it's we're all amateurs, but they feel like they're bothering their coaches. So they don't send videos. They don't, they don't ask questions and stuff like that, where it's like, that's the most important part. Like I, at one, so at one point in my, my um, last training cycle, uh, I had, what was it like four sets of 12 dumbbell rows? And I'm like, I'm, I'm a big guy. So I'm going to be dumbbell rowing pretty heavy. And my, my, my gym has like, like plate loaded, like you're able to load up a dumbbell with plates and I got it up to 300 pounds and, and I sent a video to my coach. I'm like, look at this. I'm so proud of this. And he, he, he sent a voice message back. He was like, Patrick, that was absolute dog shit. Do not ever do that again. And like, he, he completely restructured the way that I was doing my accessories. Like I, I basically was like, accessories mean go as heavy as possible. As long as you can still do it, body English doesn't matter. It's just that the weight moves. And now it's all like, everything has a tempo. Everything has a stretch. Everything has a compression focusing specifically on the mind muscle connection. Like I, I watched all those Kai green videos like 12 years ago. And now I'm finally under understanding what he was saying. And I'm like, Oh it's more than just grapefruits and shit. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I feel like you see some of the most successful uh, powerlifters are the ones who do their primary, secondary, or whatever. But when they go to their do their accessories, they're training like a bodybuilder. And, yeah, I mean, no one can disagree that when you add muscle, you're going to get stronger. It's just a fact of life. So why not do it properly to increase your muscle mass? Yeah. yeah. So. Um, I yeah, guess also is, uh, where do you train out of? Like, where's like your central gym? Um, I, I'm in Manchester, New Hampshire right now at free state barbell. Um, I've been at, at a pretty much in, up until recently, I've been a, a gym hermit, just pretty much going anywhere. Like I've, tr I trained at mass or mass barbell before it closed down back when I, uh, worked in Worcester. I trained at iron empire before it shut down. 
Um, there isn't a trend there, I hope. Um, <laughs> yeah, wait. <laughs> Free State, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I've, I've, I've pretty much gone every, like this past training cycle, I went to MetFit for a couple squat days. Like, um, the, the gym is very, uh, like you get the Monday, Wednesday, Friday crowd that do squat, bench, deadlift on those specific days. And then like Tuesday, Thursday, it's dead. It's, it's just so dead. And my, um, my program, I bench before I squat. So bench is on a Monday. It's just so that I don't get the, uh, the inflammation in the shoulders from like going out wide to squat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just having it negatively impact my bench. So I was always squatting on a Tuesday. So like load up 900 pounds when there's no one in the gym. I mean, I've done that before, but you don't want to do that. It's yeah. it's not fun. You end up you end up cutting yourself high. You end up squatting high in training because you don't have those systems of safety. Like I used to, I used to be a hard ass and be like, never use spotters. Like if you get if you put yourself in a situation where if you miss the lift, you're gonna die. You're gonna find a way to to make it. So always use clips on bench and and always make it so that you die if you miss a lift. <laughs> now that I'm two years older, I I understand that it's it's not that way. Yeah. Yeah, um, I feel like that that's something that it's kind of like a the logic like you think about it logically you're like well it's kind of like the fight or flight response like I'm gonna like Joe Sullivan says adapt or die but yep. it's like uh, no you're just being a fucking idiot and someone's gonna find you with a barbell around your neck on the next morning so um, I think the biggest thing and you can push yourself to limits you didn't know when you have a group of people around you even just the energy levels, but specifically the safety of just having spotters. There's, there's the whole like weighing of, of how comfortable are you with failing versus how safe are you when you do fail? And it's, it's like that push and pull and you don't really want to test the waters of either. Just, it's just always better to be safer because if you die, you can't be stronger the next day. (laughs) No matter how enticing that is. Yeah. (laughs) The economy. It's awful. Yeah, I know rough world but um i guess over the years kind of what has been some of your biggest like lessons or what kind of made you kind of realize that you're going to be one of these top level athletes um across the board uh i uh i've got some pretty bad imposter syndrome so i i still don't believe that i'm i'm at at the top yet like there's still guys out there like Dan Bell's record is going to st- stick around for a while. You've got Zach Myers, who's who is at 275 and is eyeing that record. You got Andrew House coming in, getting close to that record in sleeves. You've got um, Jesus Oliveira's, or and then there's just little old me. I'm like, I'm like, it's almost like until I hit that 24 legit, then then I'm just average. And I, I, I don't, I don't. Once I hit the my first thousand five. Um, back in 2021, I think it was, or 20, uh, yeah, I think it was 2021. Uh, I was like, all right, maybe we're on to something. When I hit my first 600 pound bench, I was like, maybe, but the, the deadlift has always kept me humbled. It's like, I could, like, if I had an 800 pound deadlift, I'd be swinging, swinging with, with the big boys, but I'm still like five years worth of 675 being my, my deadlift. And then only recently breaking that. And at, at this past meet still only 716, even, even with being able to lock out what I did lock out and, but still didn't get past. Like I'm not there yet, 
but I, I have learned a lot, a lot of lessons along the way. It's, it's like the, the pursuit of strength is something that no one can ever take away from you unless they take like a leg or something. <laughs> yeah. But, um, it's, it's, it's taught me a lot of patience. I've had a lot of mental health issues and like, like I, I feel like strength training and the pursuit of strength is like the movie inception where, where they never really know when they're in a dream unless like he spins the top and like being able to like bench 500 or, or squat 600 or whatever is like me spinning that top and realizing this is my reality. This is where I'm in because I've had, I've had times where I didn't, I wasn't in, in, in complete check with reality. Like one of, one of the times that I, I went to the hospital I completely hallucinated a, a cat. I, I had a cat, and then when they switched my meds, I was like, where'd the cat go? And they were like, what cat? And I was like, you're telling me that I don't have a cat anymore, but, like, even further with um, with the stuff that Joe's teaching me, learning to control my central nervous system, learning to control my breathing, my heart rate, all of that stuff, it's allowed me to, like, get better in touch with like controlling my emotions. It sounds pansy-esque, but like a couple of weeks ago, my cat passed away and I, I would have been way more self-destructive if I wasn't in more control of like the, the way that I, I see myself internally, like able to control myself internally. So it's like the gym is, is more than just the gym. It's, it's, it's the hard stuff is outside of the gym, but the most benefits are also outside of the gym. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, you hear it all the time, like, no one ever regrets joining a gym, no one ever regrets getting a workout in, and, I mean, for a lot of powerlifters, it's just an escape from reality for most people, and, I mean, pursuing the sport, uh, like, it's something that just, like, it's almost like chasing the dragon, but in a much different manner. Um, I think something that you touched on briefly, and something that I've been learning over the past year is kind of just focusing on the longevity of the sport, and not just, like, trying to burn out too fast because i mean you see so many people come into the sport and you're like oh who, this guy's gonna be good and he just some 19 year old kid just walked on the platform and put up 1800 and he he'll be on the right track and then you check in a year later and his instagram's gone you've never seen yeah. him compete again and it's just like it's important to find the balance um obviously it's physical but mental is just as important in the sport yeah Finding, finding that personal identity of, of like who you actually are is, is pretty important because a lot of those guys, like uh, I used to be the young guy always around and everyone would be like, let's just wait until Patrick hits puberty. But like, you'll see, like, um, uh, I remember a couple years ago, there was a, a kid who was getting close to a 900 pound squat at like 18 or 19 raw. And I was like, damn, like, like we're all going to be pretty screwed once he like, actually goes and is is here for a while and then he just he i think he hit 900 and then just disappeared for like three years yeah and like the um the the current uh i think it's still the current teen raw with raps all-time total record skylar brandt like he he hit that and then he disappeared for a little bit and then he competed at the american pro last year and it was pretty cool to, to be able to talk to him but he still hadn't gotten back to, to that level of where he was at. And it's, it's kind of cool seeing guys like, um, well, it used to be Larry wheels, but like now it's Andrew house and the guys who like were those young guys doing the, the really like absurd numbers, like actually continuing with it. Um, 
and it's 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 hard to see when kids are like i am the teen they almost it's almost like peaking in high school and yeah. that's that's my own personal biggest fear is having peaked so i, I that's, that's part of why i'm in the sport i don't want to ever have peaked even though i know it's coming eventually yeah exactly and it's kind of like the it goes along with the beginner's mindset as well as like the the pursuit of just breaking records or setting your own life goals that you maybe have deep down inside that you don't, or you just kind of want to see your potential. Like it's mostly yeah. just, I want to see where my limits are and where I could go in the sport, not just, all right, I want to get to a 700 pound squat and then, Oh, okay. I'm done. Yeah. Cause like once you, once you hit that goal, you, you get that taste of, you, you get that massive like cache of dopamine just dropped all over your face and you're like, I need more. Yeah. Or at least that's how I go. Some people are <laughs> like, I got it. We're good. We can now eat salad and go on turkey trots. <laughs> that's Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, it's, it's like the never be satisfied and always like hit one goal, move on to the next and just see where that drain, the train is going to stop. Um, I guess uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about with you is kind of, um, obviously you said you've had some struggles with your deadlift, uh, but you, you, put up some insane numbers across the board and your squat, I mean, being able to squat over a thousand pounds, that's a special club of its own. Um, what are some of the things that have got you there? Maybe specific movements, I guess, or you just think that's been something that you've wanted to train the most or just kind of explain overall. Um, squats for sure. The thing that got me there was definitely doing air squats. Like my old coach, he used to say do a hundred air squats a day. Just grab a broomstick and a, or a PVC pipe, 100 squats a day, because it takes about 200 reps for your body to develop a muscle memory. So you got to do 200 perfect squats. You do 700 squats a week. You, you develop that good form. And, um, like, I, I had some depth issues. At, I, I mean, I've had depth issues on and off. But um, I, I took a squat and I, I hit 965, but called, called for depth. And I was like, this is, this is not okay. So I started doing 100 air squats a day, at least 25 air squats before squat sessions. And, um, and, and then the next meet, I was like, my, my max right now is 965. So I'm going to take 970 on second. I still had a shitty squat. I got on my toes and ended up good morninging it. Um, but on the third, I, I got a thousand five and, and that was that, but like what I'm finding now is like basically above 95%, your brain can tell your body whatever it wants. It, it's not going to listen. It's just going to tap into the muscle memory. Like you'll see people at meets and the, their first squat would be like, like chef kiss, beautiful. Like this is, this is textbook squatting. And then they come out for their second and it's a death grinder. Their knees are touching their they're all hunched over the bars on their, their armpits. And it's, you're like, who are you? Like <laughs> what happened? And it's cause that that's where their muscle memory is at. Like they were able to adjust on the fly at their like 92 and a half percent, whatever their opener was. But once they get to their second and third, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a, a boogeyman going on there. Yeah. But between the air squats and um, I started training my core a bit more aggressively, trying to get more ranges of motion trying to work on both the, the stretch and the, the, the contraction of, of the muscles going on. Um, also, uh, training the obliques, like very few people train the obliques and it's like, it, it makes sense because we never do a twisting movement when it comes to any of the big three lifts. But the moment you start to twist, Oh shit, 
probably should have trained the obliques at some point. It helps with the stability and stuff. And I'm getting to the point where like, I'm having to learn like how to properly, like I've, I've, I've talked about breathing before, but like when you take a squat, like when you take the bar, like your, the, your ability to take air in changes. And, and at, at, at some point, it knocks the air out of you and you, you've got to be able to um, like, like if you watch the videos from my most recent American pro, my first squat, I took my air, I took the bar and then I got the squat command, took another big air. And then I squatted my second attempt. I felt the pressure. If I opened my mouth, all my air was going to go. So I just, I was like, Nope, biting the bullet. Let's do this. Just learning how to, how it's almost like the biological systems, <sighs> back to the funky voodoo bullshit but like working all the all the muscles that are used in the squat so like doing super high volumes worth of leg extensions leg curls um what else have i done like bulgarian split squats working on um like i i recently changed to squatting from barefoot to heels and turns out i don't actually know how to squat so i i have um I was meeting up with uh, Dexter Bedeau, the, the guy who does brobility up at MetFit. And he was like, you just have, you have two Frankenstein legs that just don't match. And you don't have any sort of connection to the, the nerves and, and any control of like what's actually going on there. So like learning how to like contract the right muscles at the right time, rather than trying to muscle things up. Mm-hmm. Because I've just been muscling things up for as long as I can remember, like actually learning how to lift the way that we're supposed to lift that probably got me probably the furthest. Um, and then deadlifts. Um, so when I competed at the American pro last year, I weighed in at three sixty nine, Um, and, uh, I, I mean, I, I noticed a trend that was going on when people lose weight, like there's almost like a bell curve for every, every lift where the weight classes, like kind of distribute where the the prime leverages for each of them are most on squats and bench you're a super heavyweight you should be good like every soup like a lot of people use powerlifting as an excuse just to be fat and be <laughs> so like i'm part of the, the 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 super heavy should be for the professionals only like if you can't open with the 800 squat and 500 bench just lose two weight classes mm-hmm. and that's the whole point of, of dots is to prevent that from happening but people love their cookies yeah but um i noticed that it's almost like the 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 220 242 275 area that's where the prime deadlifts are happening and then the squats and and bench are all often super heavy so there's some sort of leverage issue going on you you look at all the top deadlifters a lot of them are deadlifting sumo they've got the leverages going on there and not a single person above 300 pounds up until shane howler recently and luke nall have have been pulling sumo above 700 pounds so it's like there's there's some sort of like body distribution going on there so i was like let's recomp get back to the same weight and um my my nutritionist briani terry was like all right finally we're we're gonna make you not fat anymore (laughs) so we got down to 320 and i ended up pulling 750 holding it for like 10 seconds at lockout just to prove to myself I actually locked this out and I'm, I'm going to hold on to it doing a bit of like kind of sporadic grip work. Like I'm doing more grip work now because like I basically, I've, I've seen like what it's able to do for me and I'm able to progress like with it. And it's a lot of like 
not not even heavy singles a lot of light singles like i'll have a 10 by one at like 500 pounds with a 60 seconds of rest and it's like the, the 10th rep has to look the same as the first rep and that's building that consistency almost like the air squats with the squats kind of building that deadlift up to, to something that i won't be embarrassed about something that i won't outbench i still outbench my sumo though <laughs> yeah um that's kind of a I, I do agree with that kind of bell curve thing because um something like john rupo told me once was like like so he's sitting around like 315 now but he's like if i if i were to put on like 10 15 pounds my deadlift might go down by 20 pounds oh, yeah. just because either my stomach's in the way of the bar i can't get down into my proper position but yeah so i did notice that too like the the 220 242 is where you see like some of those monster deadlifts just because whether like at that weight class that's like you can be like a lean like your body composition is overall like you don't really see like very fluffy 242s at the elite level like that's just no. at that point they're going up to 275 plus yeah. and um it's kind of the opposite with bench it's like the heavier you are the, usually the more you can press like i mean yeah. julius maddox 770 he's like a 400 pound dude like yeah. there's not many people under the i mean it's rare to see a 500 pound bench at 242 anything under that it's basically yeah. you don't really see it so yeah there's like 90 percent of deadlifts is all in the starting position so like if you can get into the perfect starting position you're, you're golden and us fat guys who struggle to pick up to, to even put on our socks. <laughs> but that and the same with, with bench, I lost about two inches. I, I went from 370 to 320 and back up to 350. I lost about two inches of belly. And um, I was taking a video. I was like, damn, I could actually compete in the USAPL now. <laughs> I'm, I'm hitting depth on my bench. This is absurd. But with that also came with, like, we, we I hadn't ever trained the – like two inches is a lot. Ask oh, yeah. any girl; it yep. is a significant amount. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like one seventy five psi when I'm at three fifty. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we hadn't ever trained that that two inches, so I was getting extra inflammation. And like four weeks out from the meet, I ended up missing a five seventy five bench because, like, my descent got it was it was almost like someone turned the video into slow motion. Like it just came down, and it was probably a ten second descent two second pause and then like start to like at that point it's it's not even worth pressing at that point because like when you take out any sort of weight above a certain percentage you've got a timer going on and like once that timer is up whether you've done reps or not you, you're not going to be able to lock anything out yeah and that's something that um i kind of get a little bit with it's more of like uh so i can like maintain like a pretty solid like i don't have like a crazy arch but i'm not like a pretty like i have a pretty decent like good arch to my bench and i've started to notice more and more that like it's almost getting more difficult to just get it down to that last inch and a half or so it's almost like trying to touch in a shirt especially with how wide and like trying to keep my lats tight and everything and um i mean it's made a world of difference in terms of my pressing ability but like I get up from the bench and my head's purple and I feel like I'm going to pass out rather than, Oh, my chest is sore. Yeah. There's, there's something to be said about being able to manage all the blood pressure going to your face. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's uh, obviously a much different level at an equipped. Like you see some of oh, the, yeah. and like the, the biggest thing with equipped is actually being able to deal with the pressure. Obviously you have to learn the suit and the shirt yeah. and all that shit. But like half the time, some people just, won't get a lift that they could definitely do because they blacked out at the hole in the hole. Oh yeah. They couldn't get it to their chest in time before passing out. So, yeah. Um, I, it's I guess it's like trying to compare, um, 
uh, pole vaulting with high jumping. Like, it's two completely different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess kind of touching on that a little bit, have you ever thought about getting into gear or competing in gear? Uh, I don't have enough friends, uh, and I got my eyes on, on a couple goals in Raw before I even considered doing it. I've, I've had people just sliding in my DMs for the past, like, <laughs> five years. Like, before Jimmy started, like, his initial break, once he hit his first 1,000 pounds on bench, like, someone stood in my DMs like, hey, you could do that. He's he's older than you. You could do that now. And I'm like, mm, just I don't have seeds. any friends. <laughs> I need more friends. I'm, But, um... Yeah, I've only gotten in a shirt twice, and the, um, the last time that I did it, I was 19, so that was eight years. Oh, I'm old. <laughs> but um, at the time, I could only bench 545, and I couldn't touch 600, and I was like, what is going on? Like, just, <laughs> do we need to add more weight? I've heard that work sometimes, yep. and it's, it's, it's like trying to walk on a slack line. It's, it's weird. It's fun. I wish I could do more, but, like, I've got these goals already set out for me. I've got too many plans in place. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of the same way. Like, I'm obviously around it a lot with being around with John. And, like, yeah. this past weekend I went down to Hellbent and Bridgeport. And, like, all those guys are just beasts in their gear. So, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm getting a little taste of it, but I kind of have my goals of my own. And I'm like, all right, I mean, I don't know what it's going to take or how long it's going to take, but I really want a total 2,000 raw. Uh, whether it's at 242 or 275, that's kind of the, where I want to stay. I don't think I want to get any bigger than that. But, um, yeah, I think I definitely – and I also want to start using it as, like, a training tool to, like, overload, yeah. whether it's just a pair of briefs and a single-ply shirt. Just I think um, anyone can benefit from being able to overload the CNS, kind of just like how any equipped guy benefits from training raw. It kind of goes both ways. Yep. So um, I guess before we kind of wrap things up, I know recently you I saw something on your story about a little ebook that you wrote. You want to kind of explain what that is and what what kind of inspired you to do that? So um, the ebook basically it's way too long. <laughs> so I, the way that I program my clients. When I program them, it's it's based on my experiences and the experiences of people who've taught me. So I didn't feel right writing an ebook unless I'm like, hey, here's the context is of everything that I know. And so I, I went through like the 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 original programs like five three one um, block periodization where that came into play. Um, I also went into ten twenty life juggernaut um, fifth set and um, the cube method, trying to ba basically give context. Um, without like, I've got a lot of lines in there that are like, Hey, if you want a full program buy their ebook, I don't want to step on their toes or anything because like powerlifting is, is for everybody. Like anyone can powerlift and it's, it's really fun and it's really, uh, fulfilling. So I wanted to like, basically give it not anthological or like powerlifting one-on-one before I go into like what I program for my clients and then like where the, the the future of programming is going with the stuff that I don't completely understand yet but it's 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 77 pages long with no graphics so far which is long for an ebook <laughs> um but my my old coach was like you should write an ebook didn't give me any instruction and Joe, Joe my current coach Joe Sullivan was like you need to write an ebook you've got these like out of box ideas like Put them on paper and you will understand how things work a little better. It's it's almost like doing math. Like yeah. 
you can do math in your head, but like once you write it down, you understand things a lot more, be- a lot better to be grammatically correct. <laughs> it's like, um, basically it's, it's, it's a training, like it, it's basically powerlifting one-on-one yeah. with, with the set program that I've, I've given my, my clients before. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think this uh, actually transitions perfectly into my my final question of the episode. Um, if you could get, give a powerlifter, a new powerlifter going into his first meet, uh, a piece of advice, what would it be? Just have fun. Like, like you you shouldn't have a lot of weight on your shoulders going into your first meet. You just get, get a good squat, get into your meet, get a good bench, make sure you're still in the meet, make sure you get a good deadlift. Because all the numbers that you're going to have progressing forward, your second meet, your third meet, everything, all your training numbers are going to be based off of what you hit in that first meet. So it's almost like everyone starts somewhere. This is your starting point. Go try as hard as you can to go nine for nine. It might not go to plan. That's okay. Just start somewhere and that'll be your diving board to jump off of to get some gains. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to thank you for coming on and taking the time out of your day to join me. Um, If you have anything you want to plug or you want to let them know where they can find you on Instagram, that would be great. Uh, My Instagram is fullprimalpower, underscores in between each word. Um, My equipment sponsor, Move Weight, is currently having a Black Friday sale. I believe it's 25% off. Find them on Instagram at MoveWT. I think that's it. Awesome. Thank you very much. Anytime. Thanks for having me. No problem.